Hey everybody, and welcome to the D&D Roundtable, a D&D podcast on the Tome Show Network. My name's Topher, I'll be your host for this evening. I want to give a couple quick shout-outs before we start the episode. Tonight we're going to talk to Mike Shea of SlyFurish.com fame and talk about his wonderful 2016 DM survey. First, though, I want to thank Noble Knight, Noble Knight Games, for their fabulous sponsorship of the Tome Show and all the great podcasts on the Tome Show Network. Don't forget to use the Amazon affiliate links, which are on thetomeshow.com, and also our DMs Guild affiliate links. Helps the show out if you like what you hear. And hey, if you really like what you hear, why don't you give us a five-star review in Amazon? We'd love it. Now, on to the round. Table. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of the Roundtable. I'm Topher Cohan, your wonderful and vivacious host, and with me is someone who is no stranger to the Roundtable, the great and wonderful Mike Shea. Hey Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you on. You are my first official guest on the Roundtable, that makes me um, super happy. Um, the Roundtable, who was founded by our dear friend James and um, has handed off to me. I'm super happy to have you immersed. Yes. Uh, uh, most people know Mike from his website, slyflourish.com, or his uh, Twitter handle. But he also has a new podcast himself, or a, a video cast, or whatever you want to call it. We'll talk about that in a second, called DM's Deep Dive. Um, I'm super excited. We're going to talk about that in a second. But first, Mike, here's the question I want to ask you. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is more important to you, the rules or a good story? I can't believe you asked that question because it's so painfully obvious that the rules matter more than anything. You do not ever, ever break the rules. Ever. They are, they are sacros- sacrosanct. Sacrosanct. <laughs> is that a word? I, think that's no, a word. I don't think so. Close enough. Yeah. So, yeah. No, of course. Uh, story always trumps rules. Absolutely. But Sorry. you make it sound like it's obvious, but it's well, it feels. But it's yeah, not. I guess it's not. I guess it's not. But it's you know, it seems. I think everybody. Well, I don't know about everybody, but I think many, many game masters sort of reach a point where they where they realize that. That's why there's this you know the rule zero. You know the rule of fun. The you know whatever is fun for you and your your table is, is matters more than any other rule that you would find in the book. Um, right now, I, I, you know, not to complicate the question a little bit, but. There are rules, right? And there are rules for a reason. And we have to remember why there are rules. And that's because people need to know what the interface layer is between them and the game. And if we violate it too often, well, then we're just sitting around a campfire telling stories. So, you know, sometimes it's important to make sure that our that there are boundaries to what we're doing and that those boundaries are well understood by us and our and our players. That said, you know, we can, we, we have freedom, we have room and freedom to tweak. I can give an example if you want to spend more time on this. Uh, yeah, give me one. I love one. All right. So uh, I'm, I'm, I have, I have moved over from uh, gridded combat to um, what I refer to as hybrid, uh, hybrid, hybrid combat, sort of loose, loose map combat. I like to still have miniatures. I like to still have big maps. I still use a big Dwarven Forge thing. But I've stopped counting squares, and I don't count specific distances. Um, and what helped in this is that I established a new set of rules for, for, for myself and for the players, where I'll say things like, if you want to hit with a lightning bolt and you only hit one target, you don't even have to do anything. Like, it, it doesn't matter what the lineup is, you're always going to be able to hit one target. You, know, it's not, you don't have to worry about your friend being in the way. Uh, if you're going to hit a couple of targets, you know, that's probably possible. Uh, you know, if, you, if you want to hit three, it, it's going to be hard to do. It's not whether the miniatures are all lined up. It's what whether that makes sense for the story. Same with like fireball. You know, if we're going to talk about a fireball, it's like you can hit pretty much any four enemies with a fireball. I'm not really going to get 
into edge cases about whether or not they were sitting in that one corner piece and it's too hard to hit. It's a lot easier to say, if you throw a fireball in that room, you're going to hit everything in that room. And by kind of setting those rules up ahead of time, my players kind of said, okay, this is a slight variant of how fireball works in the book, but I understand how it works and I understand why. So that's an important rule, but we're bending the rule at our table because I'm tired of counting five foot squares. And I don't think that's very heroic and adventurous. And I would rather have players say, I throw a fireball in that room and blow up everybody in it, which sounds far more cool to me. It does sound far more cool. And I love that idea. I mean, I've always taken the path, and I think I've heard you talk about this before, that if you ask me to do something and give me a cool narrative of why you want to do that, I'll make the rules work. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I had this monk in a game for a while that she was convinced that if she could spend all of her key points, she could jump on the back of a giant. Yeah, sounds good, right? Like, yeah, tell me how you did that. Of right. course I'm going to let you do that because that just sounds cool. Right, right. right. And, so. I, and I think that even there, you're sort of establishing a rule on the spot, right? You're kind of saying, okay, she, you know, she had to blow all her key points to do it, right? And right. Not, not, not just some of her key points. So there was sort of a, a, a negotiation that took place to kind of define a new rule that for that very specific instance. And that, that, that's where like the rules do matter because otherwise it's like, well, I just want to kill it with one hit. Can I do that? Well, no, you can't just kill it with one hit. Anyway. Right. Exactly. You're exactly right. Right. All right. I took, a, I took your very simple question and I made it complicated. Well, no, it is because many a people believe the rules are written in stone and you cannot variate from them. And I, I knew you felt like I did and I wanted to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Tell me about this new show, The DM's Deep Dive. It's over on the Don't Spill the Podcast Network, but don't founded split, by our yeah. Don't Split. Sorry, Don't Split the Podcast Network. Sorry, James. Found by our dear friends James Intercasso and Ruby Basso. Rudy Basso. Uh, tell me about the show. Uh, so I, so so James and, and I, I mean all of us, right? You two, we've all we've all been friends talking about all this stuff. And James and I uh, have uh, become Google Hangout friends. We have a tendency of chatting during the day. And um, when he was uh, setting up the Don't Split the Podcast Network, he and Rudy came to me and said, hey, uh, how would you like to do a show? And I said, well, I don't want to do any work. I don't like doing work. And they said, that's okay. We'll, we'll do the work. We'll host it. We'll set up the thing. We'll, we'll get people to do the artwork for it. We'll... And I'm like, well, this is sounding better and better. What do I do? Well, you talk to people about D&D. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, I can, I can talk to people about D&D. Um, and I've also really liked... Uh, shows that are one-on-one. -on -one. Um, one of my one of my favorite podcasts is, uh, and this is gonna all the all the PC people are gonna yell at me. Um, there's a guy named John Gruber who's a big uh, Apple aficionado and, and talks about Apple computers. I'm kind of an Apple nerd, and he has this great podcast called The Talk Show, where it's him and one guest, and they just talk about you know they they kind of dive deep into the topics of Apple, and I like that format a lot. And what I want to say is like we 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 talk at the surface level about D and D on lots of different things. We we have topics that are near and dear to our hearts. But but if we if if we spend a lot of time on the net, we tend to hear a lot of the same sort of stuff. There's lots of discussions about you know the sort of like topics that we continue to return to. Some of those are really interesting, and some of those can get kind of boring. But my my thought was well let's take some of the topics that are that are big, but let's let's you know dive deep into them. Let's let's try to you know. As 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 the young kids like to say these days, let's unpack that, right? And 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 dig dig deeper into what we're seeing there, and see if we can find something new. Uh, see if we can kind of break past what the surface level. Just like the conversation we just had about rules, right? I think if right, you were yeah. to go up to any DM and say, 
rules or story, they would, you know, I, I have a feeling that the majority would say story if they've been doing it any length of time. And then there would be some that would say rules. And there'd probably be a few that would, you know, kind of explain the importance of what rules are. And, you know, I don't know, you could probably find a split, but I, I don't know that you'll often get into the kind of conversation we just did about, well, how let's, let's think about that a minute, right? And let's think about why we even have rule. If, 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 you know, we're all hippie about it and we're going to throw rules away and I'll just share in a great big collaborative, you know, storytelling session, why do we even have them? Well, there's a reason. And it's because we, you know, we, we need to know what matters, right? We need to know how it works. So that sort of conversation is what I want to have lots more of. Uh, I want to find people across the D&D community and, and go you know, work with people that I know before. Enrique Bertrand, who runs the newbie DM site, was my first guest. And he's spent a lot of time thinking about what D&D is like for new players or new DMs. And so I said, let's let's kind of get into that. And uh, so that's that's the show. We, we do it on Twitch live where we have guests. Uh, again, I don't like doing work. So uh, either Rudy or Alex Basso moderates the chat channel and then kind of calls together interesting questions and then we answer questions. Uh, our next episode, we're going to answer more questions than we did the first one. We really didn't get, didn't get to a lot of them. Uh, it's recorded and broadcast on YouTube and it's on um, the the uh, DSPN network. The DSPN, I guess it is. You don't want to say DSPN network. Network twice. So, uh, yeah, so we're trying to hit a lot of different formats because, I, you know, I, I, you know, as a commuter, I love listening to podcasts in my car and it's one time when I have time to listen to it. I don't really have time at home, but I know a lot of people are spending time on YouTube watching things and I think other people are real interested in Twitch. So we're trying out this sort of multiple format uh, system. And and the first one seemed to seemed to be well received and came out came out pretty well. I watched the first one and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I am a uh, I have Twitch open almost more than YouTube on a one of my monitors at work almost every day watching something, whether it's somebody playing a game I play or <clears throat> listening to a po- a podcast or a video show. I'm a big World of Warcraft player. I've been playing yeah. since the very beginning. So the um, the Instance World of Warcraft podcast, uh, a long-time podcast, they record their shows on Friday live on Twitch, and I like to watch them. And I think you get a little more insight, and I feel like I'm better connected with them as hosts because I get to see them. And I, I don't know, maybe that just makes me a complete nutter nerd. Who knows? What your, uh, what's your gear level at these days? Uh, I am currently at 840. Oh, you know what I'm at? 839. Nice. nice. <laughs> the only yeah, reason I'm at 840 it. is because the, the legendary chess piece just dropped for me oh, last nice. week. Yeah. And it and it's like level I level like 910 or something. Oh, and wow. it just took me right over the top. I was like yeah. like all of a sudden I went from not being able to do mythic to being able to do mythic in right. one with one piece. That's awesome. Well, that's fantastic. Um so yeah, uh the next you guys record live on Fridays you said, right? No, so we're the show's monthly and uh, monthly, most of it right. yeah, yeah. So um and most of it is based on my uh, the scheduling of the guests. You know, if I'm finding gotcha. a, finding a time when both my guests and I can, can sit down, and, and uh, I think the next guest is going to be uh, Teo Sabadia, another another friend of the show, another friend of ours. Yep. And um, I don't know what the topic is yet. He and I are, you know, what I like to do is kind of pick a guest, and then we kind of talk about what we think will make for a good show. Uh, so we're not, you know, not trying to shoehorn anything in. Do you let people know via your Sly Flourish Twitter, oh, yeah. or how will people know when it's going to happen? Yeah, uh, the heavy heavy broadcasting across Twitter is, is pretty much the main way. Well, right on. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. Very good. Thank you. Ah! Hey, it's me, Snurk! I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but NobleKnight.com is okay by me. You know why? 
They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's, it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right, topic two, and the reason I originally originally reached out to you for this is on the SlyFlourish.com, the lovely website of Mr. Mike Shea. You did a DM survey survey for 2016. I was a participant in the survey. I um, filled out your little form and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to – I want to go into the survey. I want to talk to you about this survey pretty deeply, actually. But Great. what I don't want to do is spend a lot of time getting into the nitty-gritty of the numbers. Okay. I feel like if people want that, they could yeah. go to your site and They're see all it. all there, and yeah, there's right. lots of numbers. Exactly. And some of the numbers are pretty eye-opening to me as someone who runs a lot of public play games <laughs> and that kind of stuff. But so right off the gate, I want to ask why. Why did you decide to do this? Um, I had done a DM survey at a smaller scale back in the fourth edition times uh, when I was just getting ready to write the Lazy Dungeon Master. You mean and the glory days? Fourth edition, the glory days? Some might refer. I didn't want to. I didn't want to, you know, start an edition war. So I don't I don't like to I don't like to subjectify them. But yeah, there were good days. There were good days. Combat was long, but there were good days. So, it really was. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was also sort of it was right kind of at the tail end of Fory, right? Like Lazy Dungeon Master actually was written about the time D and D Next was coming out. It mentions D and D Next in it, and um, uh, I wanted to get an idea about how DMs actually played D and D, and and I wanted to use that to help inform some of the some of the ideas that I was putting in the book. Particularly, how long are people spending playing games or preparing games? What what types of activities are they can, are they doing when they when they um, when they're preparing their games and things like that? And um, uh, you know, the, 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 we, we 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 all have like ideas in our heads about what we think other DMs are doing. Uh, you actually, I'm going to pick on you. Uh, you actually made a statement earlier when we were talking about the rules versus story, and you said that you said lots of uh, I don't remember. You didn't. You didn't give a, st- a stat to it. You didn't say most, which is always a real careful one. Because many DMs would say rules, right? And right, yeah. I, I look at that and I go, I, I really have no idea, right? I don't really have any. If I, you know, until I did a survey like that, I wouldn't even want to guess whether or not it's five percent or eighty-five percent, right? Like I, I really couldn't come up with a real good gauge of whether or not people are more story focused or rules focused. I, I tend to surround myself with people who are, who are story focused. I talk to people who are story focused, me and other DMs that I know are heavy story focused, but I have no idea if I'm in my tiny little echo chamber or actually that's a representative sample. And the, the, the reason to do a survey like this was to help me break past uh, my own little bubble and actually try to get a representative sample of uh, how people are running their games, where they're running their games, um, you know, how that all is working. Uh, I, unlike the Lazy Dungeon Master, I didn't have a, uh, unlike this, unlike my survey before the Lazy Dungeon Master, I didn't have a project in mind when I did this. Um, one of the problems that I had in the original survey was that I kind of had ideas for what I wanted to write about in the Lazy Dungeon Master before I did the survey. And then I kind of cherry picked the results of that survey to fuel the things that I already felt were true with the Lazy Dungeon Master. And I didn't want to do it this time. This time I said, I want to, I want to try to write, you know, relatively open questions. I want to, I don't know the answers to them. I, I don't want to presuppose that I know the answers to them. I didn't even, and actually this is, this could have been a problem. Uh, I didn't even guess at what the answers would be. 
And sometimes when you're running a questionnaire like this, you actually do want to kind of guess what it's going to be ahead of time. Um, I, I forget. There's some stats reason to do it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, it, it, it gives you a, a better data set, actually. Yeah, but I didn't, right? So I, I just said, no, I, I'm going to, I, you know, and maybe in my back of my head, I kind of did, right? But um, uh, but I didn't. So so my goal was to try to get, try to get us past the idea of, um, you know, stating our opinions and then applying them to, to imaginary statistical groups and actually try to get some data to back some of the things that we're, that we're thinking about. Um, and, and learn, you know, I wanted to learn a lot. I wanted to see like, what, what are the tips that people are putting out? What are the tools that people use? What are, you know, lots of things like that. And, and I, I felt like I learned a lot. I was, I was pretty happy with how it went out and it, and it was way bigger, ended up being way more people than I thought it, you know, I was, I expected like, maybe I would be lucky to get a thousand DMs and I ended up with uh, 6,600 valid results. That's after deduping, right? You deduped the results. Yeah. Deduped the results. I also trimmed the uh, I trimmed the data set because I started it a little early and I ended it a little late. But I I already had ahead of time said I'm going to run it for one month. So I so I cut. You know, there are some people who put surveys in that did not get the results recorded because they were on the outside edges of those. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, I did a I did a fair bit. One nice thing is while it was going on, I was kind of getting my whole little data process set up to to try to look at it and see what the results were. Um, and and you know, looking at things like deduplication and and trying to you know, fix, fix things that I had early on so that by the time it was done, I had a pretty good, I think, and I, you know, I think, and again, I posted the whole thing up on GitHub, hoping somebody would go through it and go, you know, you forgot to do something over here. And I go, oh my God, results are totally wrong. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I spend a decent amount of time in GitHub okay. in my day job. So I never in my life thought I should be digging through GitHub to find D&D information. <laughs> Like it when I, when I read the blog post and I saw, I sliced the data at the 2016 D&D DM survey GitHub site. I was like, yeah. "All right, tell me there's a Slack channel next for me to have a conversation with you <laughs> about you know the, your data points or something." Right. right. Uh, have you gotten any feedback via the GitHub? No, I didn't get any. Uh, no, no feedback from the GitHub. So you know, I think people were just kind of either read the results and, and they were kind of happy. I did have, and I and I I, I listed them at the bottom of the article. Uh, a bunch of people who did look over the results, looked over the methodology. Um, you know, people I know that have good 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 science and 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 and, and clean minds for kind of looking at these things, and uh, they gave me some good results and 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 helped tune some of the things I said to make sure I wasn't being a complete you know, idiot. Uh, but nobody, I, nobody, to my knowledge, actually went over the code and looked at what I did and said, "Oh, you know, you forgot, you, know, you forgot a semicolon." Um, and nobody I know downloaded the data themselves. I, I actually put up an Excel or like a CSV version that was cleaned up that you can bring into Excel. Uh, I did validate it both in Excel and in R, uh, mostly because right in right when I started the survey, I made a complete screw up, and because of a single line problem in R, generated a chart that looked really solid and was totally inaccurate. <laughs> and, and, and I put it in Excel and double checked it in Excel, I would have known immediately. Yeah, I said that. I, I basically said that um, more players, more DMs ran three hour games and five hour games than four hour games. And 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 I posted it to Twitter. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Check this out. And everyone's like, wow. And and here, you know, I want to I want to bookmark a topic for this. Um, they uh, immediately people came up with stories about why that was true. And there were very few people who said, that's got to be just plain wrong, right? It was very surprising to people, but nobody claimed, are you sure that's correct? And then I went back and it turned out I wasn't correct at all. I found out because I ran another another thing through the same graph 
And uh, I also saw a crazy anomaly, and I'm like, okay, it's it's wrong in the same way the other one was. Went back, fixed it, and it turned out, of course, more people play four-hour games than anything else. So what's the piece of information? What's the one piece of information out of all of it that you got and was the biggest surprise to you? Oh, man. That's, that's Come on. tough. You knew I was going to ask that. You knew oh, I was going to ask I, that. I really didn't. I really didn't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I have an answer. Um, I'll t- okay, so I, I, this might be an opportunity for me to throw Mike Shea's four rules about quote-unquote big data. Um, which, you know, I'm working on a bunch of other projects, uh, that, that are dealing with large data sets and kind of bringing them together. And, and my four rules are, what's that? You tracked your 2016 life, didn't you? Yeah, I have a whole, I think I saw that on Twitter, right? 30,000, yeah. 30,000 data points recorded each day. Not, yeah. Data recorded every day that came out to 30,000 data points to see how's my life going and how did it go? And, you know, the answer was about eight out of 10. Um, so, uh, yeah, my three rules are it's not big data if you can fit it in the memory of your of one computer. Um, the uh, all real life data is always messy. And I'll talk about that when I when I talk about some of the text data we had in this. Um, they and then the third one, I think, is, is probably the one that I learned the most, which is I think is known as the centrality theorem. And it's essentially the more data you get, the more it's going to, you know, the more it's going to even out and, reg- you know, I, I'm, I'm not being perfectly accurate, but essentially regress to the mean. You're going to just start seeing the same pattern over and over and over again, the more data you get. Like it, and, and I refer to it as like the more, the more data you have, the more boring the results are going to be. And I felt a little like that with this, that like, you know, I just, I just asked right before I came on the show, I asked my wife who, who had seen and heard a lot about the survey while it was going on and afterwards. But I said, like, how often do you think most DMs play games? And she says, I don't know, weekly? And I said, yep. I said, how long do you think their games are? She goes, she said, three hours. I was like, oh, close. It's four hours. She picked the second highest. I said, how long do you think people spend preparing their games? And she says, I don't know, one to two hours. I'm like, yep, that turns out it's one to two hours. So if you were, for most people, if you were to try to guess what the answers to these were, I think you'd get pretty close to what they actually ended up being. And and so that's probably my big my big takeaway is that, um, you know, while I was doing this survey, I'm, I'm reading a lot of books about cognitive bias and about how humans' brains um, make terrible, terrible mistakes uh, with data. We're not seeing it, of course, at all in real life these days. But, you know, generally speaking, human beings just have a, have a you know, our brains are not built for statistical analysis. Yet, it turns out, they're, they're oftentimes are not that bad. Uh, probably particularly when there's no uh, major, uh, you're, you're not hitting a culture, you know, you're not hitting someone's individual culture. Uh, so that, that, you know, the fact that the results get more and more, you know, kind of, they, 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 they normalize out the more you get was, was very interesting to me. It's a long answer to your question. No, no, that's a great answer to that question. I have to tell you, I was surprised most by, and I'm going to ask a follow-up question to the statement that, uh, local gaming shops and public locations were such a small percentage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I think that's skewed. If you've listened to this podcast at all, and Mike knows this about me, I'm a big fan. I run games at my local friendly gaming store. I'm a huge proponent of public play, of getting more people to play. I'm a big fan of that. So in my mind, you know, that's the place to play d and I run a home game at my house also, but that's the place to think. So I noticed that uh, online using Roll20, Mm-hmm. Which I have a question. I have a follow up question. To my question. Mm-hmm. I'll ask this question first. I don't remember in the survey. Did you specifically say roll twenty, or yeah. did you ask? So, 
if someone has used uh, Fantasy Ground, that was on there too. That was on there. Okay. Yeah. So I had three. Um, I had three online tools, and and I picked the top two that I knew, and then I said another online tool. Okay. Um, and right. very few people chose another online tool. In fact, four uh, percent said they used another online tool, and one percent used Fantasy Ground. Yeah, um, I've used Fantasy Ground a decent amount, mostly because of my uh, my association with the Adventures League. They got us in there, and I had a bunch of the, that material, and it was set up for me, so it was easy for me to do. Right. Um, but here's my question: the, I found out about this survey on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think you pimped it like a mofo on Twitter. Do you think that the audience, because the audience was an online audience that came to it to do it, they are more likely to use an online tool like Roll20 than the average D&D player sitting at somebody's house or at a convention? Um, that's a good question. And I, I'm asking you to, to hypothesize, and I yes. get that we're talking about right, data, right, 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 but right. I'm asking you yeah, to yeah, extrapolate yeah. here. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. And, and it's, and it's a, it's a, so, so this, this is a very interesting question from a few different, from a few different angles. And I think it's, and they're probably worth talking about. Um, so, so one thing about like roll 20 versus other things. And one thing that I was careful about is I didn't, I went after way more than Twitter, right? So I went to Twitter, I went to the Facebook D and D site. I went to Reddit. I went to, um, uh, uh, N world. And I think I went to a, another, another big online forum. So I went to a bunch of places that I don't hang out. Like I don't, I, you know, I go, I post to N world a couple times a year. Uh, you know, I've started to get more involved in the Facebook D and D group because it is so big, right. It's really, really large now. Um, and, uh, uh, but I didn't go to the roll 20 forums. I didn't go to the fantasy ground forums. I didn't go to any forum. I didn't go to the adventures league page on Facebook. I avoided any of the locations that would that I felt would skew the results. Uh, when we get back to that that idea of you know the more the more data you have, the more boring the results. Um, I feel like if there was a sway, uh, I would see it because there's so many results, right? Like sixty six hundred results is a lot of results, and and I feel like I I would have seen it start to tip one way or the other. But when I looked at just the first 600 results, they're about the same distribution as, the, as, as all of the other results in it, as the other 6,000, right? It's, it, that, that curve basically hit within the first couple of days, and it never changed throughout the rest of the month. So if like any one group came in, you know, at one point, Matt Mercer retweeted it, and I got a whole bunch of people that came in and responded for Matt Mercer's stuff, and it like doubled the amount of survey results, and yet the curve stayed the same. So okay. my, the answer to my you know, the answer my answer to your question hypothesizing about whether I think it's um, biased I, I think there's a solid argument I, I can't you know I don't, I'm, I'm trying not to just give a total chicken shit answer here but so my belief is no I think I think it's a solid model of the way DMs are overall and and my my standing for that would be I, I would love to be proven wrong I'd love somebody to do somehow do another more exhaustive more exhaustive survey that that proved me wrong. Um, if it is swayed, I would say that it could be swayed more towards online tools than um, than not. Except we're not seeing with any of the other online tools. Like Roll Twenty is really high. You know, Roll Twenty was uh, I, I felt it was high. Right, seventeen percent was felt high to me. Um, yeah, me too. However, if you say, well, four percent used another online tool, one percent used Fantasy Grounds, those numbers aren't particularly large. So wouldn't those be inflated as well if people were generally using more online tools? 
Um, but I, but yeah, I, you know, my, my feeling is that there were so many results that came in, um, and, and the internet is pretty pervasive these days, right? A lot of people, you know, yeah, true. We're, we're not talking about small, you know, small countries that are completely disconnected from the internet and really how many people there are playing D and D that it's going to sway the results. Uh, so I, 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 I stand by it. I think it is a decent. I think it is a decent. I'm gonna, you know, I'll, I'll say that I, I believe it's a good model of what the distribution of of DMs and their behaviors are like overall. But I am absolutely happy to eat those words. I, I doubt you'll have to eat those words. I think you're right. That's a great way to look at that too, because if if we believe that the roll twenty data is skewed, then all the other online data has to be skewed too, and it doesn't oh, seem that way. Right. So, but twenty two percent of your correspondents, if I'm reading these numbers right claim they play D&D via virtual tabletop of some type uh, or some, or some a, online that's tool. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That's a, that's a surprise that, that number doesn't surprise me. It encourages me that those tools are taking hold. I would harbor to guess that a year ago or so that number wouldn't have been so big. Right. Right. I remember when we ran the test for that you DM'd for the beginning of five E Mm-hmm. Yeah, using right. an, a, a virtual tabletop was kind of a a uh, a, a rarity. By the way, can I can I share like a tiny digression? I yeah, I, right. I really want to do that. Was the TMAT takedown right? Yep. I, I really want to do that again, and it's because I only realize now that Divine Word is a bonus action, not a standard action. So Jimmy of the Page is ready, my friend. T, t, yeah, TMAT could have killed everybody far faster because <laughs> she can she can slay anybody who's down with a bonus action. <laughs> But I think now all of us, all those people who are on that thing, we know the rules better now. We That's know how to true. play right. our characters better now. If be. you have us all play the same characters again, I'd have yeah. to play a bard way better now than in fifth edition than I did <laughs> then. That could very well be. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to have a rematch. All right. So um, I was reading through this, and the section that um, and you touched you uh, touched on this a second ago, so I want to bring it up here. The uh, text entry. So your top tools used was just an open text field, right? Yeah, so both of those were open text fields. Yeah, they, so, were, they were both, anybody could put anything they wanted in there. The and top did. tools and the favorite tips, right? Yeah, yeah. Can I get PG-13 in, yeah, our, you can. in our talk? Uh, so yeah, somebody yeah. somebody put in a tool, a bag of dicks was one of their tools. <laughs> people, literally put, people literally put anything that they felt like was on their mind in that, in that field. Uh, were you surprised to see Cobalt Fight Club get so many responses? I was. Um, I mean, I know Cobalt Fight Club, and I kind of, you know, I kind of, I kind of, uh, uh, knew it was a popular tool. I, you know, it, it, it was pretty high, I'm, um, you know, 569, you know, results. And now these numbers are, 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 are I want to say questionable. Like I, again, I, I think these are a solid model, but I would not hold myself to those specific numbers because as I said before, all data is messy. And when you're dealing with text data, I had to do a lot of crazy ass stuff to try to normalize the text data into common fields. So there's probably most likely these numbers are low and more people said Cobalt Fight Club than I recorded because they might have called it something else or used a hyphen or some other weird thing. I accounted for a lot of stuff, but I, I don't I probably didn't account for everything. Tell me how you did that. How did you parse that data? Let's uh, get a little nerdy for a second. Oh man. Yeah. So uh, I you know, I've been spending a lot of time screwing around with text and trying to figure out what to do with text. And if you give me one second, I can actually I'll go back to that GitHub thing and I can walk through the you know, I won't go too nerdy. I'm not gonna read I'm not gonna read code on the internet or on a podcast because <laughs> that would suck. Um, but as, as I'll, I'll summarize. So basically I removed all punctuation. I lowercase all of the words so that they were all flat. 
Um, the nice thing about the tools is that most people used a delimiter to separate them out. They either use carriage returns or they used, I'm sorry, line breaks these days, right? It hasn't been a carriage yeah, yeah. return since 1968. But um, so they either used a line break or they used a comma. Uh, sometimes they use a semicolon or, or or something like that. And I was, so I kind of like looked at it and said, okay, I'm going to try to parse it using any one of these potential ways that they separated out their tools. And that gave me a nice list. And most of them fell into one of those ways to, of parsing it. And then I did this like lowercase all of the words, uh, remove all punctuation. And then I did a thing, uh, I'll, I'll do a word count. So I'll just separate all the words by space and then do a flat word count. What are the top words? And that's where like cobalt comes up really high. Um, and then I can do a thing known as a bigram count where you count every pair of words uh, and then sort that. And then it, it, so it might have cobalt fight would be high and fight club would also be high. And then I can do uh, uh, a trigram, three three word pairs, and then cobalt fight club tends to bubble up to the top of that. Each time you do that word word count, bigram count and trigram count, your numbers end up going down significantly. You get you, know, you get a, you know, a longer tail and fewer jump right up, but they give you the pattern. So once you see like cobalt fight club shows up, then you're like, okay, well, let me do all of the particular ways that people might have spelled Cobalt Fight Club. And then that gives you, in, in this one, a, basically a bunch of regular expressions, a bunch of pattern matches to say if it's, you know, Cobalt Fight Club, Fight Club is one word, just call it Cobalt Fight Club. If it's Cobalt Fight Club, you know, or Cobalt Fight Club with an S, get rid of the S and just call it Cobalt Fight Club. So I did a bunch of stuff like that, which means that top 10 list is way more normalized than, than some of the lower, the lower stuff. Um, so it's an estimate, but I think it's a pretty solid. It's a pretty solid estimate. Yeah, I can see that. I could, yeah, I that makes sense to me. That makes perfect sense to me. Uh, yeah, listen, people, if you um, don't care anything about what the results of the survey is, but you're a data nerd, read this blog post. Mike has done an incredibly great job of not only presenting this data in a very accessible way, in a way that's very uh, usable and digestible by the average person whether you're a data nerd like me and obviously like Mike is, uh, but it's there. But also, if you are that data nerd, the second part of this, talking about correlation responses, um, talking about the tools you used to do it, how you did natural language processing and grouping and stuff, it's a pretty incredible, well-written post. Thank you. Yeah. It's you know something I've been really into over the past couple of years and learned a lot. This this one, I, I really didn't know anything about chi-squared you know, chi-squared analysis to look for potential correlations between survey responses. And I really, I kind of like knew there's got to be something that does this. And then I had a coworker who's like, you ever look at chi-squared for being able, I was like, oh, let me, let me Google that. And then, you know, found an R library that does it. And that's, that's where that, um, the, the, the ability to correlate different responses. Um, you know, if somebody was to answer this for one question, they're more likely or less likely to answer this for another question sort of, sort of response. And those are kind of interesting. I almost cut that whole section because yeah. I'm like, I don't, you know, it's long and I don't know that there's a whole lot that, that we're really learning from that. But, you know, I spent, I don't know, days and days and days doing it. I might as well <laughs> I might as well put it in there and if people hate it, they can always skip it. Well, no, I think it was important to add that because it not only adds legitimacy to the data, which is important, right? I'm a search marketer, so I have to present data all the time that says what we did worked or didn't work. Yeah, sure. So I, I, I understand the importance of that. Mm-hmm. Um. But also, it it allows someone who, and here's why I think this is great. It's uh, and whether you did this on purpose or not, who knows? That's interested in D and D, right? Mm-hmm. Come and read this and go. Oh, I can do this really cool game that my, me and my friends like. 
and I can learn about this other really nerdy thing that's going to help me not only with my game, but in life, possibly. Maybe. I mean, I, mean, uh, I, I work for a, a big data company. Um, we're one of the largest big data companies in the world, and we have five or six data uh, um, data engineers and data scientists, guys with PhDs, whose sole job, that's their only job on the planet, is right. to parse data. Yeah, right. They don't make assumptions. They don't do anything with it. Right. They just parse it and right. they put it out there for someone like me to get and do something with. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I would, I would love so, that job. It's out there. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the um, uh, you you brought something up there that I I, I think it was you either you just said something about they don't they don't judge it or they don't they don't um, they don't assume it. What did you say just now? When you were you're talking about what they do with the oh, data, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they don't, they don't make any assumptions about the data. They just parse it. They just parse it. And so that that that's something I wanted to get back to because one of the immediate responses I got, and I think you brought it up, you just brought it up earlier. I just I just didn't jump on it yet. Um, one of the res- immediate responses that that people came back and were most critical of the survey was when it came to friendly local game shops versus other forms of play, particularly the idea that. Uh, in this result, uh, friendly local game shops were like four times less frequent than Roll20. Um, let me make sure I say that correctly here by looking at the actual results. Or was it? Uh, that locations, sounds about right. Locations played was 16% Roll20, uh, 5% local game shops. So I'm sorry, it's three times. People were, you know, people were three times more likely to play on Roll20 than they were to play at a local game shop, roughly, right? And that got a lot of responses. A lot of people said, holy cow, 5%. You know, 55% are playing at home, 5% are playing at a local game shop. What, what is up with that? And what was interesting was I got, you know, from people that I know and love, you know, said that that showed that the data was wrong, right? That that showed that the, the, that there's there's some kind of skew, there's some kind of bias in this. And that the bias, you know, that more people are uh, likely to uh, play in game shops and not see your survey than they are to do anything else, you know? And I'm, and, and I didn't, I didn't buy it. Right. Because, uh, again, I think the other results would have been different, like to say, you know, 55 percent of people playing at home. Like, there's nothing to tell me that if you took out, if you were to get all of those people, uh, if you were to get all the people who may not have seen the survey, i.e. people that are basically not really into the D&D side of the Internet and they took it. I don't believe that you're going to see the, the number of people at a local game shop go up. Right. I think you're going to see more people playing at home go up or maybe people playing at another private location go up like those. You know, that's where I believe more people are playing games. Um, but I, I, I kind of didn't buy the idea that that by by increasing the sample size of the data that local game shop numbers would rise. But people feel really strongly about it. Right. This is people don't really give that much of a shit about published versus personal adventures. Although, you know, I saw People talk about that. Um, you know, I seem to care more than anybody else about about you know gridded versus abstract versus theater of the mind. It's a topic that I'm really passionate about. But I, a lot of people are just like, no, I just play on a grid and I'm happy, right? Then it, it's not it's not like fighting words. But if you if you poke someone in the eye about the local game shop, it's fighting words, right? And and I play at a local game shop, right? Like I have a local game shop. I play there every Sunday. I love it. I buy all my D and D books there. I don't order from Amazon. You know, I, I go there and buy full price, right? Because I think they're great. They're great people. Great great store. They give me space to play. You know, I've met good friends there, so I like it a lot. But the reality is, there just aren't a lot of friendly game shops out there, 
Not really. Not compared to the number of homes, right? Like not compared to the number of private locations where people can go play D&D. So just by accessibility alone, that number feels right. Um, but, but more than kind of arguing about the specific number, what, what's really interesting to me is when people tell themselves stories about the data, when they do, they don't, they don't look at it abstractly and say, and, and they, they immediately draw causal, causal relationships. In N-World, this happened. Somebody said, like, this just shows that Watsi making Forgotten Realms their primary campaign setting was a real big mistake. Or other people said, yeah, the only reason this is high is because they've been pushing Forgotten Realms so much. Well, we don't know that. Right, that the data didn't say that. The data just said what it is. But they're making stories about what they find, and usually those stories are based on their own personal beliefs or personal experiences, not on any other kind of scientific backing. And and again, this probably isn't a surprise to a lot of people that that people will look at data and then build a story around whatever the data is. But it always amazes me. Like you know, I don't know. I found I found that very interesting. Well, it's the adage of correlation without causation. Um, right. Cats have. Cats have whiskers. Cats yeah, are mammals. Right, so right, all mammals right. must have whiskers. Yeah. Uh, right. The number of no. homicides in the United States is directly proportional to Nicolas Cage movies. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, A does not equal B. Right. Um, in, in nobody's world. Well, and, 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 yeah. And people just love to use data to tell a story. I, so uh, I'll just share this real quick. One of my, my, my other big projects that I'm working on now is analyzing D&D Twitter data. I've been capturing it for two years and I've been sitting on in this giant database of about 65,000, 6,000. 650,000 tweets. And I'm going to do a similar report about that, similar to this one. And I posted like Twitter tweets by time of day, because I think it's kind of interesting when people are tweeting the most often. And immediately people came in, again, people I know and love, at least in one circumstance, people I know and love, and another circumstance, someone I didn't really know, who started to tell a story about it, saying basically that's the time zone of when people are awake in, in, in America. And other people saying, well, that's when, it, you know, the reason why it's high then is because that's when people play their games most often. And I'm like, I have no idea if that's true. And almost every time people made an assumption about other things, I was able to discover that it's wrong. Right. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. I, yeah, I. Th okay, so first of all, before I forget this question, are you using AWS for your server to store this data? Or do you just have a like a, a server array in your closet at home, Mike? <laughs> I, I, I'm a big fan of AWS, yeah. So uh, for, for this stuff, uh, the survey I ran on Google Forms, and that worked really well. I was like, oh, my God, is this going to explode when it has 6,600 results? And it didn't. And I was able to export it as CSV every night uh, and save it. I, you know, I constantly save snapshots just in case I, you know, it got hit with a virus or you know, 4chan got a hold of it and did something terrible. So I, I wanted to get a copy of the data each night or pretty close every few days. Um, the data set's not big, right? Like the actual si physical size of the data for the survey um, is, you know, I mean, you can easily download it. It's just a big CSV file. Um, so so that one I didn't have to host on, C on C2S. I did host, uh, and then running all the computer programs, I just ran off my MacBook Pro. And that, that, again, didn't take any time. Like this is really, the survey data was small. Like 6,600 rows is not, is not big. You know, the 650,000 rows of Twitter data is almost reaching Mike Shea's rule for how much data you can fit in a memory. Um, but I can still fit it in a memory, so it still doesn't count as big data. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm hosting the images of this actually off of an AWS server because I'm afraid my tiny little uh, web server that I host with, would I'd, I'd hit their bandwidth limits. I thought this might be pretty popular, and I'd actually, I didn't look to see if it was. Um, 
but I thought it might be popular. And if it was, I have a lot of images on here that are pretty big. And I thought that might, uh, I thought that might screw things up. For those of our listeners who don't know, AWS is, is Amazon's Amazon. web services or their virtual hosting that uh, they host a lot of big sites. The company I work for is hosted on AWS boxes and yeah. I, AWS, I have it. AWS is great. Yeah. I have a personal AWS box I use for data parsing for freelance gigs and stuff. So, can I, can, Big I fan. One, can I talk about one other part of the survey that, I, that I'm particularly proud of? Of course. Um, so the graph, uh, this is something I hadn't really seen people do. And it, I just, you know, I've been screwing around with graphs mostly to look at Twitter data, like who's retweeting who on, on Twitter. And a, a graph is essentially interconnections between two things. So if, if I retweet you, then you and I are each nodes and the retweet between us is considered called an edge. And when you have enough of these, you can build these kind of interesting visualizations of the interconnections of things. And it occurred to me while I was working on this that I can do that with pairs of words. If I take those bigrams that I talked about before, and I basically take all of the words that go through uh, a text field, I can build a graph out of the, what the word relationships are like. Like if you say the word player, what other words do you say around the word player? And then if you say those, what other words do you say beyond that? And it gives a, so I ran this for the tips. Uh, like, so, so we talked about the tools, right? Uh, and the tools were easy to parse and it was it, not hard to come up with a table that said like, here are the top, you know, I think it was like top 20 or top 30. Yeah, top 30 tools that people mentioned as tools that were beneficial to them. But tips were yeah. all over the place and, and there wasn't any way to do the formatting on that. I had to handle it as really messy, really messy data, right? So I threw it into a graph and just said, just show me the interrelationships of words. And, and it, you know, they're, they're really big. The graphs are really big. But I, I thought it was really interesting. It has like player was definitely in the center. And then you can see all these words around it. You know, player engaging, engaged player, player campaign, player interested. You know, all these kind of interesting interrelationships between the word player and other words. And the one I really love is there was one that's called don't. And it was every time somebody said the word don't, what word did they say next? And it was like, don't railroad, don't sweat, don't worry, don't, don't, in this case, be afraid. Like the B is a stop word. So, the, you know, don't overprepare, don't plan, don't force, don't expect, you know, and I just love that, right? Like that, that's a way to see a whole bunch of tips all at once in one big view. And uh, uh, it was, that was really fun to do. And, and I really, you know, I really like the results. And I think it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. it is pretty. I have to give you that. Yeah. It's really good on a big, high, super high resolution Big super high resolution screen. All right, before we move on to the final topic of the day, anything else you want to say about this incredibly well done and fantastic survey of yours? Well, I, I, I appreciate I appreciate the results. I would I would and pre, people probably read it and and God, if you got past me talking about code, you know, if you're still left, um, one thing that I thought was interesting after doing a bunch of stuff called clustering on the tips, I came up with what I thought were seven clear tips that sort of came out of the data. This is where some subjectivity comes in because I sort of picked the I didn't actually just pick them out of a hat, but I sort of made inferences to what I believed people were saying when I grouped up these. And it came down to seven tips that, generally speaking, 4,000-ish people coalesced around. And it was focus on the players, make things happen, let things happen, focus on characters, backgrounds, and stories, improvise, say yes, and have fun. And I'm like, you know, that's a really good, solid list of, it of is. you know seven, seven tips that if you had to tell somebody how to play D and D and, and, and do it well. I think those seven tips are, are pretty solid. So that's it. That's it. Yeah. That, that's, that's, 
if you want to if you want to take all of the information and, and you know throw it in a centrifuge and boil it down i think those seven tips are, are not a not a terrible way to do it will so, you come back on and talk to me when you have all the twitter data parsed out sure I'd love everything about that. Hey, and listen, I want to I want to challenge our audience out there. I know we got some really smart listeners out there. This data is there. All this data is there. He has some great visualizations, but I want to see some really cool visualizations and uses of this data. So, yeah, hey, too. Roundtable yeah. and Tome Show listeners, get out there and do that. Tweet to me and Mike and show us what you're doing because well, I'd love to feature it and 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 pimp it out and show yeah. it because I think that with with the, someone with some time and the right mind, this data can be incredibly powerful and, and if nothing else, it's visually very cool. And if you find out I'm wrong, tell me. Like I will not bury. I will. You know, if you if it turns out I am wrong, I will not bury it. I will. I will absolutely edit this article and say, "Wow, I was wrong." All right, so we're going to pivot slightly, but not really. The third topic and our final topic of the day, I have listed in the show notes as future of D and D. Now that's a way open topic, so let me. Make this a little more concise of a question to you, sir. You've just gotten all this data. You are a prolific tweeter, and you've just admitted you've been um, um, warehousing two years or so of tweets of people talking about D and D. Just about from two this years, information. Two years in March, yeah. Of this information that you have, and of the people you think at the survey, and the other people you've talked to, where do you think? What do you think the future of this of this game is? I am. I am so glad you asked. And I want to tell both you and the listeners uh, what they should do, which is rather than ask me what the future of D&D is, you should go get yourself a, a monkey and a dartboard. And that monkey and that dartboard will have a far better chance of predicting where D&D is going to go. All right, all right, all right. I know. And I added your show notes here, like seven citations. This is scientifically backed and true. Uh, let me let me let me throw another. I got it, and uh, I'm totally diverging from the topic, but I'm going to say it anyway, right? Uh, there's a guy that did a study in 2004 where he looked at 284 experts who made a total of 28,000 predictions, and turned out that they were about as right as random chance, right? These are people who are paid all the time to make predictions, and their predictions were roughly the equivalent of random chance. The uh, in 2014, I think it was. They did uh, standards and pours, the people that do the S&P 500 or they mounted the S&P 500, did a study of mutual funds and found that 84% of mutual funds can't meet the S&P 500 uh, index rate, which means they're, 84% are worse than just doing the basic index. So asking, quote, and I'm not, you know, I will, I, will, I will be so bold as to throw myself into the world of expert. I think about D&D an awful lot. Asking me what the future of D&D is going to be like is actually worse than just, you know, asking my dog what D&D is going to be like. Um, so there. All right. That's I'm going to rephrase the you... question. <laughs> I'm going to rephrase the question. I've added a topic 3A. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's, you? Yeah. Have I convinced you that, that, that experts predicting the future is actually a terrible thing to do? It is a terrible thing to do. I, I agree with more, that 100%. I more, but I won't. Uh, I have a little story about how I was at a search marketing conference and these very, very smart people were convinced that in the next five years, this was 10 years ago, by the way, uh, were convinced that everybody was going to be paying online with cryptocurrency only. Yeah, <laughs> right. So here's and, 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 and not to I know this is totally not about D&D, &D, but I, and I, I'm so passionate about this. One of the interesting studies where they where they talked to uh, chief financial officers for major companies and they said, you know, these are people, again, who are paid to kind of predict where the markets are going to go. Right. And not only were they wrong in their predictions, but the the 
their 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 error rate was they a way underestimated their own error rate by like a huge amount. They they thought they were going to be very accurate. They didn't say like, well, I don't know, it could be anything, but it's going to be this. They said, no, I'm I'm sure it's going to be this. But the way to combat that is to just basically, you know, there, there's only one way to be even remotely accurate, and that's to say whatever it was in the past is likely to be that way in the future. You know, essentially, you you draw a regression line. You know, whatever it was, right. you know, and like if you say what if you were to ask me how do, you know what hour do you think uh, people are going to be tweeting the most often on Mondays in five years, I'd say well probably about the same hour that it is today because I have no other data to tell me otherwise, and I'd still be wrong maybe half the time. Sorry. So what was what is your what is your refresh? Right. And refresh is <laughs> what, is your, what is your other question? Like, topic three A is. Where do you want the future of D and D to go? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, that's a different question, and and I can answer that one. Um, where do I want it to go? I'm really happy with D and D right now. I know what I don't want, and I hear a lot of people, and I, uh, you know, people that are citing BS statistics about this, saying that the the product, the amount of products that are coming out, are coming out too infrequently. They need to start putting more stuff out. They're not. You know, somebody said that somebody judged the um, uh, the brand. They judged the D&D brand saying the whole brand is clearly not doing well because they're not putting out enough books. And if it was doing well, they'd be putting out more books. And I'm like, man, you are totally connected to things that are not necessarily connected. Right. Like right. they might be doing just great living off of nothing but the monster manual, the DMG and the player's handbook. They might not need to put anything out and do really well. So, uh, so, I, and, and also that then I'm also, I don't have data the other direction and I'm putting my own bias on it because I like not having a lot of books, right? I, I like that there's not 15 different player resource books with, you know, like, like 4E, right? Where there's like 1100 feats, you know, and 2700 right. powers. So I like that it's, it's relatively limited. I'm not sure my players do, right? They, they'd like, man, I, they're always jumping on, on those, uh, Archon, uh, Unearthed Arcana articles. You know, using those as their character, as their as their character builds, because they want to try something new and they're just not quite getting enough. Um, but I I prefer that D and D kind of feels the same. You know, as you know, like four, fifth edition doesn't really feel that different today than it did when it first came out. We're still pulling out the player's handbook. I'm still using the monster manual. You know, and I and I and I like that. So I guess the the thing I would like to see in the future is their continued. Uh, con- them continuing to be conservative about the books that they're putting out. Um, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll, yeah, that sounds boring as shit too. So let me let me pick one. I would really love to see. I would love to see a book called Water Waterdeep and the Undermount. Right. I would love to have a campaign setting just like 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 they did with Storm King's Thunder and like these other ones that's focused on on Waterdeep and and like the first three layers of Undermount. So you've got dungeon delving. You have city and political intrigue. You know, we, we haven't, when was the last Waterdeep book we had? You know, we haven't had a Waterdeep book since second edition, I don't think. Didn't we have a Undermount book in 4E? Yeah, so we did have an Undermount book in 4E. I've actually got it sitting over there in the shell. I kept, that's one of my 4E books that I kept because I'm like, oh, I could do Undermountain with anything. Um, so yeah, that's true. But if, I think if they combined, um, so first of all, the nice thing about Undermount is you can make, you can just keep remaking it any way you want. There's no, there's no real canon when it comes to the things in Undermount. Um, other than the people and, and, you know, some of the, some of the major figureheads, right? Like, I don't think the right. first level has to be the same as the first level Ed Greenwood came up with 30 years ago. 
No, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I think that uh, I think the argument could be made, and I know we're diverging a little bit, but not too much, that the first three levels of that mega dungeon could be put in any order. Yeah, right, right. And, and it, why do they even have to have level one, two, or three? You could just say, this is this level, this is that level, this is the other level. So that's, that's what I would like to see. But again, I am, one, I am one person out of many. Everybody probably has the things they'd like to say. I'm sure 50 people are screaming at their you know, car stereo saying, why the hell are you saying not more books? We want more books. And then, you know, they want more books and I don't. But, you know, we all have kind of our, our things that we By want. By the way, you, if you want, you want more content, then go to DMs Guild. Yeah, no kidding. Like, I feel like I got plenty of stuff. Um, yeah, although the, I, I, you know, I can, I can, you know, I think there's a good argument to be made for it should be nice to have more player builds that are like AL legal and, and well play tested, you know, sort of stuff rather than kind of grabbing a PDF of, of, of things. But what, what do you want? What, 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 what do you want in the future? Uh, you know what? It's funny you bring up the undermount is uh, I was thinking the other day I was cleaning up my, the room I play in here at home. Cause I just uh, about to get some new bookshelves. So I, was moving some stuff around and I came across that the Undermount book and I thought, you know what, this I really would like a hardbound adventure path book, whether it's put up by Watsi or you know and, and developed by Watsi or if it's put up by Watsi and developed by a third party or whoever, you know, as a mega dungeon. And that's the whole season. The season is a, it's somewhat linear, right? You've got to get from point A to point B. Now, how you get from point A to point B, there's a hundred different ways and let the DM right. can do whatever they want, right? But I want them to get to the end and I want that to be a mega dungeon and have them do that. That would make me, I would love to DM that. I would love to play in that. <clears throat> but here's the problem with that, right? Here's the, here's the problem. So let's say it's a Watsi book that's written by Cobalt Press, right? And they put it out and it's fantastic. How, the Adventurers League, or whatever we're calling that now, the, the the public play, likes to set their adventures in the same locale and the places as whatever the published yeah, adventure right. is for that season, right. where the hardbound adventure is. So how are you going to do that if it's a self-contained dungeon? So, yeah, we're, yeah, we're diverging from the topic. But do you think, in your opinion, do you think Wizards cares that much about that? No, I, I, I obviously, if you listen to this podcast... You know, I don't think they care. I don't, I don't think they. I don't think that's. I don't think they see that as their problem. <laughs> I think they're like, now one thought is, I'll tell you what, what my my thought would be, which is, if Under Mountain is really this limitless dungeon, just let the Adventures League play around with whatever whatever levels they want. Yeah, I agree. They 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 don't necessarily have to be canon, right? They're not any more canon than anything else in the DMs Guild, which is also not canon. So yeah. they can they could just make up levels. You know, just don't give them a number, right? If you just if you just make up a level. You know, and then levels could be wildly different. They could also be extra planar. You could do all kinds of stuff. So I think there's options there. Um, the other thing I really want is I'm um, such a huge, huge fan of Eberron. I would love for us to get fifth edition Eberron or even more geeky, but I don't think it's possible. Fifth edition Dragonlance. Yeah, the funny thing is, I of course would love Dark Sun. So I think everybody's got their favorite world right. that they love them to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Mike, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Any last things you want to tell our, our um, listeners before we wrap this up? If they, if they made it this long, I thank you. I hope uh, I hope it was interesting. It was a lot of fun to do the survey. It was wonderful to be on the show. I appreciate it. Where, where can people find you, Mike? Uh, slyflourish.com is my main website and uh, on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash slyflourish. And I'm Topher Cohen. People can find me at on the Twitters at at Topher ATL, T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. And on Facebook at Topher Cohan, T-O-P-H-E-R dot K-O-H-A-N. 
All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Tome Show tonight. Thank you, Mike Shea, for being on. For Mike and me, thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out thetomeshow.com for all of our Amazon and DMs Gale affiliate links. And also go on over to patreon.com slash thetomeshow if you want to be a patron. Help us out there. And a special thanks to Eric Michaels for the music you're listening to underneath this wonderful voiceover. Once again, everybody, thanks for listening. And see you next time around the round table.